was life like for lesbian teachers in 1980s Britain? We find out in the drama Blue Jean. His star, Rosie McEwen. I think actually what was most precious was that all these women were so passionate about this story and no one was just there because it was close to their home or like it worked really well for their schedule or like, which sometimes obviously a job is a job. It didn't really feel like that for all of us. Like we were all just like so aligned with really wanting this story to be the best thing it could be. It all just felt like we were really keen to like get this story out there and tell it the best way we could. I also speak to Rosie's director, producer and co-star in this week's Girls on Film. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine, and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face, you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Hello and welcome to Girls on Film. I'm your host, Anna Smith. And today we're talking about the BAFTA-nominated drama Blue Jean with writer-director Georgia Oakley and producer Hélène Sifre. We're also joined by the lead actor Rosie McEwen, who plays schoolteacher Jean, and by Kerry Hayes, who plays her girlfriend, Viv. I need you in two teams. Jimmy, can you get over here? Mike, over there. So, what do you do, Jean? I'm a teacher. Fantastic. What do you teach? P. Lois, come on in. You got a man on the scene at the moment, then? No, I haven't. Blue Jean is set in 1980s Newcastle, when Thatcher's government was making life very difficult for gay people in the UK. You do realise that we fill our tellies with this here to distract us from what's really going on. Not everything is political. Of course it is. Here at home, there's been another big demonstration against Clause 28, which seeks to stop councils from promoting homosexuality. I've been saying this is a good idea for years. Young people have such vulnerable minds. <laughs> Rosie McEwen puts in a terrific performance as Jean, who has to keep her sexuality a secret and is put in a very difficult position when she meets a pupil of hers in a lesbian bar. Can anyone tell me what fight or flight means? Fight or flight. What's wrong? You look stressed. I don't want my students on every part of my life. Every part of your life? If anyone found out, I'd never work again. The gay and lesbian lifestyle is not natural or normal, and it never will be. What I don't get is how two girls actually... Just ignore them. So are you dead? I'm talking about me. Here are Rosie and Kerry. Absolutely delighted to have you on the podcast. Big fans of Blue Jean. Tell me both how you first heard about it and what you thought when you read the script. Rosie, you first. Um, I, it was just a normal audition process for me. I got sent through a tape, got sent through the script. And um, originally in the script, Jean was a lot older. I think she was in her 40s. And obviously she's from Newcastle, which I am absolutely not. So I read the script, fell in love with George's writing because her character was so fleshed out she knows exactly what she's talking about she knows who these people are they're so 3d um but I thought there's no way they're gonna pick me I'm way too young and I can't do a Geordie accent <laughs> so I avidly listened to Cheryl Kaur for ages 
And I think luckily, because it was COVID, it had to be a tape. So there was no meeting in the room, which sometimes frustrates me because I quite like to sort of get an energy and then someone can direct you. You can kind of see where you're going. But in this situation, because Jean was quite far away from me, I think it really helped because you just saw me being Jean as opposed to a sort of chat about how the trains are delayed or all that sort of stuff that usually comes before. So I think it really helped in my favour in the end. So Kerry, tell me how you came across this story and what you thought. Well, same. It got sent through to me um, a lot later than Rosie. And um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was kind of at that period where tapes were coming in and I'm not a fan of tapes. I'm not. Um, I like the banter. I like the getting in there, feeling the vibe, you know, flirting with them a little bit, all that kind of business. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, do you know what? I, I instantly attached myself to the script and I know that a lot of people can say that very easily, but I honestly did. I kind of was like a dog with a bone, so much so that before I'd even been offered a second interview, I took myself out and I was getting myself all the piercings and everything. I pierced about five more holes in my ears because I thought, well, <laughs> if I'm going to get it, that would look freaking great. And just, oh my yeah, God, I, kinda, I didn't know that. I, was, I didn't yeah, know you did that. Yeah, I was that, really, Kat. I was really up for it. And yeah, and, and, and the same with Rosie, actually. I didn't actually think that I would have a Cat and Elle's chance of getting it because it was a huge leap for me in terms of character and whatever. Um, luckily, one of my best friends is from Newcastle. So I just absolutely, like, I had around every day having a, prepare the accent because it's not an easy one is it and do you know what I mean that's coming from a scouser and yeah I just had blind faith that I was going to get it by the end of it even to the point where I was imagining what I was going to say to Georgia when she gave me the job I was that <laughs> I was that into it you know it, yeah it was, I was really privileged to get the part and was not going to let it go to anyone else mm, <laughs> I love that determination yeah. you are both absolutely brilliant in it by the way oh, thank you thank you what kind of example are you setting for her just because I don't parade my sexuality around like a badge of honour how is that girl ever going to learn that she has a place in this world? Maurice, well, she thinks she has a place in this world. You're the one with the problem, not me. This isn't a game, Lois. It's me life. She reminded me a bit of you, you know. A deer in the headlights. I'm not a deer in the headlights, am I? Sometimes. I'm damaged. And in a way, you're not. At least you don't have to be. If I don't have to be, then why do you? Could you explain what Section 28 was? Yeah, so it was a law that was passed in 88 by Maggie Thatcher. It basically started because there was a book that was going around school called, I think it was like Daisy Lives with Matt and Ryan. Those are not the right names, but it was a book about uh, a young girl who had two dads. And in the book, there's like a picture of the dads sitting on their bed and one of them's in their underwear. And apparently all of these teachers, uh, parents at the school were in uproar about this book being really over-sexualized and what, what are you going to teach our children? Like, God forbid you teach children what it is to be gay, then they'll be gay. All this awful um, homophobic stuff. So Maggie Thatcher passed a law where it made it illegal to promote homosexuality in schools and government buildings. So YMCA's and all these other sort of safe spaces, basically. And so teachers who were gay and then students who were questioning their sexuality suddenly didn't really know where they stood. No one really knew exactly what promote meant. Could we be gay or could we just not talk about it? And could we talk about students about how they were gay? Would we lose our jobs? I think one male teacher lost his job for coming out in front of the class. But more than anything, it just sent everyone into a spiral of like feeling like they suddenly couldn't talk about 
one part of themselves and actually prior to that there was this huge liberation movement happening and there was like suddenly tiny little safe spaces were being born and it was like everyone was just shoved basically back into the closet shocking wasn't it and thank you so much for explaining that so beautifully and i think the film does a great job of explaining that impact that you talk about on a very well a few very specific characters you know heartbreaking when even a family member is doubting how much they can trust someone because of this kind of horrible um, sort of distrust that's been put in the public's mind. Rosie, what for you were the challenges of this role? I mean, both physically and in terms of performance. Gosh, um, I've never been in every scene before. I've never had that experience. Funnily enough, it's all the little scenes in between duologues you have or high emotional moments. Those are a lot easier because something really carries you through. But we see Jean doing very mundane things at the beginning of the film and at the end of the film. And yet she's in a completely different headspace. And we were shooting by location. We weren't shooting chronologically. So she'd be in the house and she'd be watching telly and it'd be the beginning of the film. And then five minutes later, we're shooting the scene where she's watching telly at the end of the film. And that's really hard because you haven't filmed any of it, but you have to try and get yourself into that headspace. And also just little things like eating cereal. You sort of... You forget if it's a tiny little short scene, you're like, how do I do this like a normal person? And you're like, wait, which hand do I use? And is this what it is to eat cereal? All that kind of stuff you become very aware of. So I think that was very new for me. And the fact that obviously, because it's a low budget independent film, there's not a lot of time. So everything's very quick and everything's squished. So I think that's the other thing. Time was obviously a huge pressure. So you're just working wild hours and... But then that's why we do it, isn't it? That's the excitement of it as Kerry's well. Kerry's nodding there. Is it <clears> worth <throat> the long hours and oh, all God, the slog? Definitely. Uh, definitely. And I mean, I, I kind of get a, a kind of a thrill out of doing these these kind of independent projects because sometimes a tighter budget, I'm not saying that I only ever want to do small budgets, by the way, but <laughs> 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 I'll take the money. But um, no, no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> when you've got a lot of pressure on and you're all in this space together and you've got a limited time, I don't know, you kind of all have to pitch in together and every second is important and valuable. I like that about that. And, um, you know, obviously there can be moments when it's like, we've got to shoot this, otherwise we're going to die. And it's horrible. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> like, yeah, no, I, I you know, I, I do tend to enjoy the pressure. And also, you know, the scenes that we were doing, some of my favourites in, in the bar was great because ourselves and all of these amazing um, supporting artists and all the other actors were there. And we knew we had a few days to get this done. And everyone just really pitched in and made everything the best we could be. And I loved that because we knew we didn't have enough time. We knew we didn't have an extra bit of cash to spend on another day. So every moment was precious. And I, and I think that pressure is good sometimes. It was for this anyway. Are there any particular favourite moments that you're particularly proud of or you remember filming and thinking, well, this is magic? Do you know, there was actually a scene that got cut which is really oh, sad. Yeah. Oh, we still mourn that scene. Yes. <laughs> we did it twice. <laughs> we actually did it twice. Filming on film yeah. is very precarious and you don't actually know if you've got everything until you like check the rushes after they've been like sent down to London, which they do every single day and then someone gets them out of the can and they work it all out. And there were these scenes after their first night out together, you see them playing pool in the bar and they go back to Jean's house and... Um, they are getting drunk together and they're dancing and Viv puts a song on. They have this like really beautiful slow dance 
And then we see them at the drinks counter, like getting really pissed. And then we see them like running up the stairs, tickling each other and like chasing each other like little oh, that kids. One. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah, little yeah, yeah. sequence yeah. was so beautiful and was really sad to have lost that because we loved it. Anyway, we when we filmed it once, they went back into the rushes to London. They said that the film hadn't come through or there was like a crack in one of the shots or something. So we had to film them all over again. <laughs> and actually, I think the thing I missed the most is the original scenes that never made it anywhere. <laughs> but they were so pure and I think the reason they didn't make it was because there was already so much amazing stuff between Jean and Viv they were like we don't need more <laughs> maybe some extra bits well yeah. exactly maybe yeah. have a sequel just devoted to that relationship <laughs> an entire montage that. I would watch that <laughs> yeah. Yeah, me too. both from a, a sort of queer perspective and a feminist perspective I think this is a really important film but I'd love to hear from both of you what significance you feel that it has and, and how it does things differently because it feels like the way George has written it it approaches a lot of subjects from a very different angle that I haven't seen before yeah I would say she doesn't come in straight on the because there's a lot I mean I'm not I'm speaking generically actually about a lot of these films that touch on LGBTQ and all of that it's all about um a lot to do with sexual awakening um and she's kind of fast forwarded that bit and gotten right into the story when you know Jean is I'm speaking for you sorry Rosie please you know she already knows that she's gay and it's all the other things that come along with it so I think that's nice and also when you meet all of these different characters especially on on the sides the part of the film that I'm in there's such confidence and love and community and these are things that I've not really seen that much of in films that touch on mm. especially lesbian communities mm. I would say would you uh, say that Rosie? Y- yeah oh god please please agree <laughs> yeah no I completely agree oh my god you speak my mind you speak my mind um I completely agree it's you're right a lot of lesbian films prior to this and I haven't seen every single one but in terms of generally what the vibe I get is very much about desire and it's very beautiful and it's very aesthetic and there's this sort of deep wanting and and it feels like with Viv and Jean they're just a couple who happen to be women and I think that's very refreshing to see and also aesthetically they don't really fit any stereotype but they're also unafraid of like breaking the barriers of what is masculine and feminine and like, you know, being sort of fit into a certain type of box. And I think that's really refreshing to see that that's quite a new thing that we don't see enough. I would agree. And I think it's interesting that unfortunately a lot of the cases we've seen, you know, women in relationships with each other on film, it's been written and directed by a man, perhaps for titillation. The fact that this is directed and written by a woman feels very significant. Yeah. A lot of the stuff that Jean experiences comes from George's life experience just small little comments or quirks or things that she's heard or people brush away and so of course it's going to be nuanced of course it's going to be detailed of course it's going to be different because you're speaking of the experience from someone who's lived that experience yes it's set in the 80s but it still comes from someone's real life now yeah and also I had to add to that I would say um, I mean any question that needed asking was answered immediately mm. there was no going back through through piles of research and papers it was all it all just came from the heart and it was just straight away yeah um also Georgia made us very comfortable in in allowing us to make decisions on our own and then kind of reference them to our own personal experiences that so that we were still kind of on the right path I mean, for me, it's just such a period of time, particularly from the woman's perspective, that we just don't see much about. There's been a lot of Mm. stories about gay men in the 80s and they have been wonderful. But this specific side of it, it's crazy that it just hasn't really been shown before, has it? I I didn't even know about Article 28. I didn't even know. Really? Before the script came through. Yeah, and I was at school, like, throughout that. 
it was abolished in 2003, I was very much at school. So that was one of the things that also attracted me to about it was that I didn't know anything about it and it was just happening all around us. And I think the repercussions of what it's done to the queer community and to everyone who's trying to understand what happened, it's just been sort of brushed under the carpet. So I think just to be part of telling a story that needs some airtime is a real privilege. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. Um, Kerry, you mentioned um, research and the community aspect of this was was fascinating to me because I was a bit younger in the 80s and not really aware of the, the sort of the strength of that scene, particularly geographically. Yeah, the fact that, you know, it's set in kind of the rough and ready part of Newcastle. That specific part, not all of Newcastle's rough and ready. It's a beautiful city. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, it is, you know, just this specific part. Like, I just didn't even... It blew my mind that these kind of communities existed. Um, but also, you get a lot of information from taxi drivers, let that be said. <laughs> you know, and you spend half your life in a taxi, don't you, when you're filming. So, and just having a little word with people who grew up in the area and kind of give, mentioning certain aspects of the film without giving too much away, obviously. They, they're really, like, a lot of people are enthusiastic to give you, like, a piece of information from their past. I'm loving picturing you sitting there chatting to taxi drivers yeah. and telling them what you're working on and getting a, a great positive response. That's brilliant. I was going to say, a couple of the women who inspired the story, Sarah Squires and Catherine Lee, are in the film. Ah. They lived that life. Georgia wrote the script before she met them, but she met them and a lot of their stories aligned and they felt very much like Jean's story was very similar to theirs. So it, there's a scene where Jean's netball team plays another school and the netball instructor from the other school is one of the teachers. And I think Jean shakes her hand at one point and they have a little hug, so keep an eye out for her. Love that. That's a nice little Easter egg for fans. Um, does it feel different being on a very female-led project? Not to sort of dismem because we have some amazing men making films, but does, is there a different quality to it? I mean, God, yeah, absolutely. But I, I mean, I, hey, I said in any area of mine, I love walking into a room for women. I always think, yes, <laughs> again, not dissing men, but of course there's a camaraderie there and there's an understanding there. And we've had so many of the similar lived life experiences there. But I think actually what was most precious was that all these women were so passionate about this story and no one was just there because it was close to their home or like it worked really well for their schedule or like, which sometimes obviously a job is a job. It didn't really feel like that for all of us, like costume, product design, um, Helene and Georgia, everyone, we were all just like so aligned with really wanting this story to be the best thing it could be. And I think that more than anything was so special. And everyone who worked on it, all the sporting artists, like Kerry was saying, even them, like so many of them were queer and they were locals and they like heard about this film. They really wanted to be part of it. It all just felt like we were really keen to like get this story out there and tell it the best way we could. I totally agree. The passion really shines through, I think, in the final product. I mean, congrats, proper congratulations on its reception. I mean, it hasn't even come out in the UK yet, but so many people know about it. It's winning awards. Would either of you like to speak a little bit about the reactions that you've been having from people? Yeah, I didn't even think about that, to be honest. Obviously, I want the film to do the best it can do, but I never even occurred to me that it would... Because you never really do. You kind of do a project and you're like, right, well, it's done now. Don't, you know, move on to the next one and don't build your hopes up too much. That's not part of your job. But it's just been amazing. It's actually blowing my mind. Like people, you know, in, in these these situations that we've been in, Q&As and 
and events and stuff where people have come up actively to congratulate us on the film, which is just amazing and I couldn't be prouder of it really. Also, I can't wait for it to come out. I've literally I'm telling everyone. I'm telling every <laughs> All the taxi drivers. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, oh my god, yeah, they'll yeah. be desperate. They'll desperate to see it. Well, I have a strong feeling a lot of the girls on film listeners are gonna go and see this film. Because um, it's it's right up our street. Um, but yeah. is there anything else about the film that you'd like to share with them? Either in terms of making it all the response that you've had oh yeah um i would um encourage guys to go see it to be honest with you men because yes. i've had some um yeah good like sorry to put my housemate into this but he he went and got, went to go and see it um at the bfi and he was like to be honest with you i'd never even conceived to go and see a film like that and you know just because he just didn't think he'd be you know anything of interest to him at all and he was pleasantly surprised mm-hmm. at the whole thing so i i would encourage um all the girls to get the guys mates <laughs> to go and watch it as well to give them a bit of an educate well education you know an eye-opener really definitely yeah, it's yeah. a really good point and we have men listen to this podcast anyway and I watched it with my husband he really enjoyed it I know a lot of my male peers critics have loved it um thank you both so much for joining girls on film I'd love to know what you're both up to next before I let you go yeah so summer and nothing don't know yeah, we'll have to see <laughs> <laughs> Very mysterious. I get it. Hush, hush. (laughs) Well, I look forward to watching it, whatever it is. Thank you. Uh, I'm on stage at the moment. I'm doing Othello at the National. It's amazing. Very different. Carrie's come to watch me. It's amazing. You have to see it. And I'm absolutely exhausted. So I think I'll probably want a little break (laughs) after it's finished. Go have a nice rest. Thank you so much for joining Girls on Film. I hope you both come on again soon because you've both been great fun. And best of luck with Blue Jean. Thank you. Thanks so much. Nice Nice to meet you. That was Rosie McEwen and Kerry Hayes. Here's writer-director Georgia Oakley and producer Hélène Sifre. Welcome to Girls on Film. Thanks so Hello. much for having us. Well, listen, I'd love you to both introduce yourselves to the listeners and talk a little bit about your previous work before we get onto your amazing film, Blue Jean. So, Georgia, you first, please. So, I'm the writer and director of Blue Jean. Prior to this, I have made a few shorts that have done the festival circuit and a couple of docs. Um, this is my first feature. And Ellen, tell the listeners a bit about yourself and how you got involved and met Georgia. Hi, I'm, I'm Ellen. I'm the producer. I was trying to develop my slate as an independent producer after doing several other experiences in the industry. And I met Georgia through a mutual friend, actually, who introduced us. And we had coffee and we chatted about cinema and the type of films that we wanted to make and why. And we were completely aligned, so it, it just made sense to, to make our first feature together. That's interesting when you say the type of films you wanted to make and why. Could you give me a little insight into that? Yeah, I think that the at the time we used the, uh, the expression uh, socially relevant dramas. Not necessarily dramas, but socially impactful films about female issues primarily obviously uh, female driven films and quickly we decided to do something about uh, lgbt issues because that's something that we had in common as well um so that was the you know making films that have an impact on the world uh rather than just entertain i was just going to add to that that um that we shared a love for European cinema, French cinema particularly, and we talked a lot about wanting to make a British film that was very much rooted in place, but that could uh, at least attempt to um, elevate its world in the way that we felt lots of contemporary French cinema was able to do. 
Um, so, yeah, that was also part of that first conversation. That's an interesting comparison. When I rewatch it, I shall bear that in mind. Um, it's a beautiful film um, and it's, you know, we want to celebrate it for, for the reasons you say, um, not just because it's fascinating and entertaining, but it's set in a world that is so, so rarely seen on screen. Um, Georgia, can you talk to me a little bit about the preparation, the research that you did into that specific time in the UK? Yeah, so um, we had a research phase that, that started the day that we decided to tell a story about a teacher during Section 28 and spanned four years of development of the script. So we were speaking to uh, new people that we hadn't met prior um, right at the end of the writing process and adding details to the script based on those conversations. So um, it was a heavily researched film and, and something that we both really enjoyed because we, we through that process we were able to meet not only the women who had worked as, as lesbian PE teachers at that time and shared the experience of our character but also so many inspiring people who had been involved in the reactionary movement um, and uh, against section 28 and people who had been involved in setting up stonewall people who had been involved in setting up lgbt history month things like that so so through that process partly it was just about expanding our general knowledge of this enormous subject but it also came down to to finding details very very specific details like the bog fund that appears in the film that was a very late addition and that was a newcastle specific detail that that uh, we were told about by somebody who was part of the queer community in the 80s in newcastle and and we loved that detail so we put it in the film um, can you explain what it is for people who haven't seen the film yet Yes, the, the Bog Fund was um, an initiative set up in Newcastle whereby lesbians who had quote-unquote proper jobs, teachers, lawyers, etc., could put money in anonymously to a, to a pot. And then for queer women in Newcastle at the time who were more kind of hard up and who needed uh, some help paying their rent that month or a new pair of shoes, uh, they were able to apply to the Bog Fund um, for, for a grant, essentially, or a gift of whatever it was. So yeah, we, we put that into the film. I love that, that sense of support and community and that detail, it's terrific. Ellen, talk to me about how you then work on a film once the script is in place and this film is about, well, it's before shooting really, I guess you've got financing. Talk to me about how you worked all that out as a producer. Well, it was, um, it ran in parallel, I would say. Um, th the first thing was getting onto iFeatures. That's a development scheme. Um, so we already had the support of the BBC and the BFI for that first development period. And then after that, we got the official support of the BBC outside of the scheme to make the film and it wasn't like your greenlit moment kind of process they you had to write further drafts and then we just had this meeting with the Eva Yates at the BBC and I think we came out and we were like so does it mean that we're funded for production and it was a kind of an unofficial process um, with the BFI um, it was a lot more formal where you, ha you had to submit an application we didn't get it straight away because they had some reservations on the script. So we had to do more work on the script to basically just clarify some things about Jean's journey and her state of mind. It wasn't huge changes, uh, but it was just enough to 
allow them to better understand the character and what we wanted to do with the film. And after that, we resubmitted, got the okay from the BFI. And that was kind of it. Like we knew at this point that the film was going to happen. And talk to me about the casting, Georgia. It's absolutely key in any film, but particularly, I think, one like this. And what a tremendous job your cast do. Yeah, so we worked alongside Shaheen Beg, who is an amazing casting director. And um, it varied with each character. I mean, casting Rosie was... I guess, quite conventional casting route in terms of the fact that we will receive tapes. And when Rosie's face popped up on my computer, I can remember exactly where I was, exactly what time of day it was, and that she didn't do any kind of introduction. She just started speaking as the character in her tape. And she just, I just knew that she had understood exactly who the character was in terms of you know, who the character was as written. And, and that sounds kind of simple, but um, after four years of developing the script with a lot of people reading it and not necessarily understanding exactly who Jean was, it was a, it felt like a, a moment of magic. Um, she just encompassed the energy and the stillness of the character and the ability to communicate a sort of um, web of complex emotions all at the same time at any given moment without sort of overdoing her performance. So yeah, casting Rosie was fairly straightforward in that we were sent her tape, we fell in love with her tape, we, we met her again and, and again and then we cast her. I mean, it was a really big undertaking. It's a huge cast for a first film. I think there are 50 named characters in the script. So Shaheen's team really had their work cut out for them. I mean, we had about, I think, somewhere in the region of 600 submissions for Lois's character. For the first stage, it was just young people talking about themselves on, on a clip, on a tape. Then we selected a few actors to, um, actors and non-actors, I should say. We had to sort of two-pronged approach, and then they would tape a scene. And we finally met Lucy in London, and we had already cast Rosie about a year before. So we were able to see what the energy was like between them in the room, which was amazing because... We always wanted someone with Lois who could strike a balance between the vulnerable side of that character and the kind of bravado that she puts on and who would be able to kind of throw out something surprising in the space and, and to, to, to put Jean on her back foot and Rosie, I guess, on her back foot. And Lucy was able to do that straight away. So we were really blown away. I remember everyone was crying at the end of Lucy's audition. She left the room and we were all just weeping. Hey, what are you doing? Why? You know why. Do whatever you want. Wherever you want. But not here, okay? Why do you care so much? You're 15, you shouldn't even be in here. So what? Haven't told anyone, have I? Hey! Go. Otherwise you're off the team. What? But for Kerry... Wait. We were able to bring her into the room with Rosie. And again, it was an energy thing. Babe, please. Just tell us what you were doing in there so I know. She's one of my students. She's on the team. What? Are, are no, you? of course not. Then why didn't you say something? I don't know. I'd always written those characters as having an age difference and a kind of experience difference in terms of their lives. There's a gap in experience and knowledge and there's a power dynamic in their relationship that was very specific and we found that Kerry was able to kind of bring that 
and that element of surprise also, and a sort of silliness that was just instantly tangible between the two of them, which was really important for us um, with this relationship. One of the things we spoke a lot about was how rare we felt it was to see a lesbian relationship on screen that starts at the beginning of the film where they're just kind of in their jogging bottoms, watching TV, eating pot noodle, you know, we just don't see that very often. So the dynamic between them was extremely important and pivotal for the film. And um, we worked on it in rehearsal, but I have to say it was it was pretty instantaneous, their chemistry. It is so refreshing in many ways, this film, but that's definitely one of them. Um, Without prying, I am curious to know what you think of Russell T. Davis's approach, where I believe he said that he will only cast gay characters in gay roles now. Where do you stand on that? I think that, for me, it's all about believability, um, which sounds quite simplistic, but I have watched, as I'm sure many other queer people have, many, many films and TV shows where the casting has not been convincing to us, to me, um, and all I feel that I can do is is uh, work to, to create something convincing on screen and I'm not really preoccupied with asking my actors who they are or aren't sleeping with. Um, I think that, I think it's a dangerous place to go. Uh, I think the authenticity comes from those people being allowed to tell their stories. And in this case, we were you know, a team of queer women telling a story about queer women. And, and I feel that we have the, the right to do so. And if we feel that it's convincing, then hopefully it is convincing. But yeah, I definitely think it's um, not as black and white as saying that only gay, character, uh, gay actors can play gay roles. In fact, I feel quite strongly about that. And I believe that this relationship is everything that I hoped it would be and that the sexuality of the actors has nothing to do with that. I want to ask you both what you are most proud of about this film. Many things, no doubt, but Ellen, I mean, especially from the producer's side, I mean, just getting a film made right is a massive thing. Um, but what are you particularly proud about? I think the impact it's had on, um, you know, we, we didn't set out to make a niche film. Like we were told many times during the development that it was niche and that it would, you know, it was period and, and who cared and that Jean wasn't, that it was hard to understand her or like forgive her or like you know just just get on board with with the with her journey and we kept saying you know that it is based on true stories it is something that really happened it's something that is still happening it's something that will that a lot of people and not just queer people will connect to and hearing the response hearing people laugh in the cinema because we also set out to make a film that wasn't bleak that had those moments of levity. So hearing the audience reaction at every screening, and we've we've been to a few by now, um, I think that always makes me feel proud um, because I feel like we've achieved what we set out to do in this respect. And it is, you know, you see people laughing, you see people crying and come to you at the end and saying how much the film matters to them and just saying thank you for making the film. Like, that's like the best, the best reward, I think. I mean, I second everything that Elena has said, but I would also add that um, when we started this journey in 2018, Elena and I hadn't worked together before and neither of us had a short film or a kind of proof of concept that could back up 
exactly what we were saying we wanted to do with this film. We talked a lot about how it was going to look, how it was going to feel, the tone of it, the fact that it was going to have moments of levity, the fact that there was going to be music used in a certain way. And we had to answer to a lot of people over four years or five years or however long it was. And essentially, we didn't have the proof to say we can do this. And I think one of the things that I'm most proud of is that despite the fact that it's such a collaborative medium and I hope that everybody involved in the film feels that they have some ownership over it because everybody's decisions and taste and everything else fed into the final piece. But I would also say that the final piece looks and sounds and feels so much like what we originally said that it would do or that we hoped that it would do. And I think that's, as a filmmaker, that's something to be proud of because, you know, we'd not done it before. We'd never made a feature before. So I guess it showed us that we can do what we set out to do. Very much so. And so much awards attention as well. Congratulations for that. It's it's so deserved. Um, I'd like to know some specifics about the audience reactions. What has really surprised people to learn from your film? I think there's two types of audience. There's the audience who goes to see the film because they are queer or they remember that time and that struggle and they want to feel some sort of like cathartic experience uh whether they're from that time or they're queer today and uh and they get something very specific out of it which is the feeling of being heard of feeling like you're not the only one struggling with those issues um and they often come at the end and they're the ones who say thank you you know like i feel finally that i'm represented and then the other type is the people who have nothing to do with this and I've been giving the example which really surprised me of like my family, my great aunt and uncle in Paris, who are from a working class background, probably have never talked to a gay person in their life, apart from me, I guess. And really like are like so remote from, from our audience. But they watched the film and they came to me at the end and they I could see that they said they were shocked. They found the film shocking. Um shocking in, in the sense that it it gave them this like realization of what it must have been like and what it must still be like to to be a gay person and and it like opened their eyes uh wide to those issues that they had never thought about and it created this empathy that they never had for like gay people and so even they can connect to the film and recognize not only their behaviors that contribute to making queer people feel like that but also like what it must feel like and and kind of like lead them to change. Well, you can't say further than that, can you? That's just, just an incredible response. And I'm not surprised having seen the film, but how wonderful to be able to achieve that. Georgia, is there anything that you wanted to add to that? One thing that really stuck with us during the research was speaking to Catherine Lee, who was one of our PE teachers and advisors on the film. And she had an experience very similar to Jean, where she ran into one of her students in a bar and the the student came to find her the next day uh, at school and, and said, look, I haven't told anyone this, but I think I might be gay. And something quite similar to what happens in the film happened between those two. And it was something that Catherine regretted and was sort of going over and over and over again in her life of 30 years because she was pushed to have this reaction. And something that I found with audiences is that I've had a few young people who can barely kind of speak through the tears at festivals coming up to me. And I can feel that what they're saying to me or maybe they don't say anything and then they send me a message on Instagram or Twitter or something afterwards and they say oh I couldn't say because I was too emotional but I've basically had people kind of 
telling me things or, or feeling that they can speak about something that they've never spoken about before out loud as a result of something that they felt through watching the film. And that's something I absolutely did not expect from audiences. I didn't think about that, but it's incredibly moving. And the fact that the film could have the power to allow people to unlock certain emotions is amazing. Well, we're very excited to see what you both do next because Blue Jean is just tremendous and a wonderful, wonderful start to your feature career. Congratulations again. Is there anything else you wanted to leave um, with the girls on film listeners? I'm very excited to get going on the on the UK tour and to be able to speak to more audiences. I mean, the, the reaction from audiences and speaking to audiences after they've watched it is the most precious thing about this whole process and and we're about to to release the film in the UK so we'll be in the UK from the 6th of February to the 12th of February doing a tour of different cinemas and doing Q&As so yeah it'd be great to be able to speak to some listeners face to face at some of those events excellent so listeners if you go go and say hello don't be shy and also feel free to get in touch with us and tell us what you thought about the film um, because we always love to hear from you on social media thank you both so much for joining girls on film and talking about the fantastic blue jean thank you thanks so much thank you you're listening to girls on film i'm anna smith and i was joined by georgia oakley Hélène cifre rosie McEwen, and kerry hayes to talk about blue jean You can watch Blue Jean in UK cinemas from the 10th of Feb 2023. Thanks for listening and listen out for our special Girls on Film Awards ep coming soon. Girls on Film is an HLA production brought to you by executive producer Hedda Archbold, audio editor Benjamin Cook and intern Eleanor Hardy. Also, many thanks to our principal partners for this episode, Peter Brewer and Vanessa Smith. Cheers to all the listeners who support us, including Sven Rufus, who recently tweeted us to say that they had made an IMDb list of all our 365 daily female-focused film recommendations that we put on social media. You can find that, along with a list of all our episodes, on the IMDb. Look, it's complicated, okay? Okay.